Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us about the calling of Noah and how the dying world around him rejected God's call to repentance. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Father, thank you so much for calling us, calling us, Lord, to come together this morning to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, to study a word, to open our hearts, to open your Bible, and by your Spirit, Lord, that you would teach us. And so we come to you for this morning, Lord, and ask that you would teach us now as we present ourselves to you, Lord, students ready to learn in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, please follow along here, Genesis chapter 6, and I'm going to start reading in chapter 6, verse 9. And I'm going to read through to chapter 7, verse 9. These are the generations, or the family history of Noah. Noah was a just man, and perfect, or wholehearted, in his generations. And Noah walked with God, and Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt, and filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, the end of all flesh is come, or is coming up, before me, or to my face. For the earth is filled with violence through them, or before them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood, rooms, or nests, Shalt thou make in the ark, and shall pitch it within and without with pitch. And this is the fashion which thou shalt make of it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, the breadth of it 50 cubits, and the height of it 30 cubits. A window, or a skylight, shalt thou make to the ark, and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above. And the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof, with lower and second and third stories shalt thou make it. And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood or an overflowing, of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh wherever is the breath of life under heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die, or expire. But with thee will I establish my covenant, and thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee, and of every living thing of all flesh, two of every sort, Shalt thou bring into the ark to keep them alive with thee? They shall be male and female, of fowls after their kind, of cattle after their kind, of creeping thing of the earth after his kind too. Of every sort shall come unto thee to keep them alive. And take thou unto thee of all food that is eaten, and thou shalt gather it to thee. And it shall be for food for thee and for them. Thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him. And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou. And all thy house into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Of every clean beast shalt thou take to thee by sevens, the male and his female. Of the beasts that are not clean by two, the male and his female. Of fowls also the air by sevens, the male and female. Keep their seed alive upon the earth. For yet seven days, and I will cause it to rain upon the earth forty days and forty nights. And every living substance that I have made will I destroy from the face of the earth, and Noah did according to all the Lord commanded him. And Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters was upon the earth, and Noah went in and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him into the ark because of the waters of the flood of clean beasts and beasts that are not clean of fowls and of everything that creepeth upon the earth. There went in two and two, or by pairs. Unto Noah, unto the ark, the male and the female, as God, Elohim, had commanded Noah. 
Now, in our last study, what we did is we saw this amazing statement as we were looking here in Genesis 6, and we saw there in verse 6 where it says, it grieved God in his heart. And we asked the question, what kind of a God is that? Who can be grieved in his heart, who can have grief, heart grief, or really feel it deeply in a grief way down into his heart. We looked at that last time, and we saw that that was the grief that drove the Lord Jesus Christ, Jehovah Jesus, to the cross, where he became man and died for our sins at the cross. Now, today we start in verse 9 here, a new section. And you could call this section the calling of Noah. This is where God calls Noah. And as we come here, we're looking here that this section, and have you seen that it goes all the way through to chapter 7, verse 9. This is the time before the flood. This is the time before the great flood happened. And our goal this morning, what we want to do, is to try to drop ourselves down into the middle of this whole critical time in world history. We want to be right down in there. So in order to position ourselves and to see what was really going on in the earth at that time, we have three questions that we want to look at. The first question is, what was the world doing before the flood? That's the first question. What was the world doing before the flood? Now, the second question is going to be, what was God doing before the flood? And then the third question is, what was Noah doing before the flood? So once we look at this and we get the full picture of that, then we'll have a very clear understanding of exactly what the conditions were like, what was going on in the world before this time that was so critical in world history because it brought on the flood. Now, we ask the question, what was the world doing before the flood? Well, if you and I could put ourselves right in the middle of the world and we would ask that question, what would we see? Well, we would see verse 11. Verse 11 tells us what the world was doing before the flood. Because verse 11 says, the earth also was corrupt before God and was filled with violence. So there's two parts to that verse. Don't put them together. Keep them separate. The first part says the world or the earth was corrupt before God. That word corrupt has the meaning of being depressed. The world was sinking down. It was going downward. It was dropping down. So it's really referring to here a new deep depression in the world, a new sinking down. Not physically. We're not talking about that. We're talking about this morally, morally. This was not the world that God had created in the Garden of Eden. This was not the place that God had intended the world to be of peace and harmony and God-centeredness and God-honoring. That wasn't the place. The world had sunken down from the place that God had intended for. God had put everything in place, as we saw before in Genesis 1 and 2, so that the world could be a good place. And the world had sunken down from that to a new low. Morality was at a new all-time low. I want to talk about the second part of this first, because the first part we're talking about those corrupt before God, and that's speaking about the morality. Corruption has to do with morality, and that is before God. Violence, it's how people behave, and that is 
before men. So there's two different parts to that. So here what we're talking about is a new morality, a new low. As far as the world was concerned, this was a morality that they looked at with relation to man, not relation to God, and they said it's not hurting anyone. It's not hurting anyone. Again, I'm not talking about the violence, the second part here. Look, this morality, as far as we're concerned, is interesting. It's fun. It's exciting. It's exhilarating. It's pleasurable. And people at that time might just as well have said, we got a new day, we're modern, we have a new morality, and we have a new code of ethics. And our code of ethics is, if it doesn't hurt anyone, then what's wrong with it? What's wrong with it anyway if it doesn't hurt anyone? So what was the world doing at that time? The world was just having a good time. It was a party time. And the world was basically saying, who says that sex outside of marriage is wrong? That's exciting. It doesn't hurt anyone. The world says, who says Adultery is wrong. It's thrilling. It's adventuresome. It doesn't hurt anyone. Who says wife swapping is wrong? It's interesting. It doesn't hurt anyone. Who says pornography is wrong? It's pleasurable. It doesn't hurt anyone. Who says pedophilia is wrong? It's what people want. It doesn't hurt anyone. Who says homosexuality is wrong? It's gay. It doesn't hurt anyone. See, all of these sins fall into the category of moral sins. And that's the part we're speaking of here in terms of corruption. The world before the flood had sunken down to this new moral low, this new corruption. And all this immorality was justified with the one question, what's wrong with it if it doesn't hurt anyone? That's the question. That question is actually answered in two words in verse 11. And those two words are the two words that come after the word corrupt. And you can see them there. The earth also was corrupt before God. It was corrupt before God. Literally that word, the way it reads there, it says it was corrupt in the face of God. It was in God's face. Who says fornication, adultery, wife swapping, pornography, pedophilia, homosexuality are wrong. God says it's wrong. God does. And so because all of these sins are in the face of God, it grieves him at his heart. It makes him sorry he made man in the first place. So first thing the world was doing was corrupting its way on the earth, morally corrupting its way in the face of God. And man at that time was not even aware that there was any problem wasn't even aware that there was any problem. This moral corruption was in such a way that they were clueless that there was any problem. There's no problem at all. You know, there's very interesting about this generation, if we can call it that, before the flood, the last generation before the flood. And turn, if you would, to Matthew 24, verses 37 and 39. Matthew 24, because there's two words, and I want you to hunt for these words. Two words that describe this generation. See if we can get it. All right, so Matthew 24... Verse 37 to 39, it says, The Lord Jesus Christ is speaking about the end, 
and he's drawing the analogy with this generation that we're studying about here in Genesis 6 and 7. And he says this, But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the flood and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Here you can see the picture. They're really enjoying themselves eating and drinking and marrying this one is giving in marriage and this one's giving and marrying that one a party generation and you really have the sense with the marrying giving marriage this is a sensual lustful sexual oriented society now what are the two words what word two words do you think best describes that generation it's found in verse 39 two words this was the new not generation this was the generation that was totally unaware they did not care they did not know they did not care to know that they were on the brink of judgment and they were totally not aware of what was going on they were totally not aware that judgment was right around the corner for them and those two words were very very important they knew not they were totally oblivious to the danger that that was before them. They were absolutely clueless as to the fact that they were walking right down the middle of the road of their own destruction. Now, that's very similar to another two words we can insert, different words. But if you consider the rich man who lifted up his eyes in hell, and that's found in Luke 16, 20. And it says there that there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores and fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Tom, you talked about how the world in Noah's day knew not until the flood came and took them all away. How does that apply today? Well, we can really say that if there's a de- one description that we can give for the generation in which we are living not, we are living in the new not generation. That was the generation that was in Noah's day. That's the generation that's in our day. It's the new not. Our generation knows so much, but they don't know the most important things. What are the most important things to know? The first thing is given by, the, by Solomon king of Israel in Ecclesiastes 7.20, where Solomon said, the great, great problem for every man is this, for there is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. So the first thing that this new not generation in which we live really has no real clue to is the desperate condition that every person is in because he has sinned. And sin is not just a white lie that everybody does because they're human and it's no big deal. No, sin puts everybody on the middle of the road to hell. 
That's what sin is. Sin is what God said not to do. It's the wrong thought. It's the wrong words. It's the wrong act. That's sin, sin, sin. And God says, everybody has sinned. And that doesn't make it any better. And so because of that, because of that, hell is real. And Daniel, the prophet of Israel, said in Daniel 12, 2, that among men, he's speaking among men, and he's describing two categories of men. And the one category he called some, and the other category he called some. The one category is called some to everlasting life, and the other category is called some to shame and everlasting contempt. What is hell? Hell is a consciousness. You know, we talk, we look at a person and we see if a, when a person dies and we say he's unconscious. That's only temporary because what Daniel is saying here is that you may see the person in the unconscious state and he calls that sleeping, sleeping in the dust of the earth. But then there is an awaking, a return to consciousness. And the consciousness is, for some, it's a consciousness of everlasting life. Life, that's the description of who God is. He's the God of life. It's the high. It's some to everlasting life. And then he says, Daniel says, because he was a faithful prophet, he says there's a some that awake into a consciousness of everlasting shame, of everlasting contempt. How horrible to be living for eternity in a consciousness of shame, 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 where all we hear about ourselves, all a person would hear about himself for all eternity is shame on you, shame on you, shame on you. No escape from the shame on you, the, the sins that you did, shame on you, the, re, the, the, the Messiah that you rejected, shame on you, the salvation that you spurned, shame Shame on you. That's a state of everlasting shame. And then Daniel goes on to say, not just shame, but everlasting contempt, the contempt of God, the God for every eternity where a person would be feeling the how God saying to him, how dare you reject my son in whom I was well pleased Jehovah Jesus, how dare you despise my plan of salvation through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ who died for your sins? How dare you vaunt yourself against God and say that your sins didn't need a Savior, that you didn't need a Savior? And that feeling of everlasting with no end contempt, that's what hell is. It's a place where there is a continual consciousness of shame and everlasting contempt. By contrast, the place of heaven is being in a state of everlasting life. And Daniel said there are two groups, some that go to everlasting life and some that go to shame and everlasting contempt. And now the question is, 
How do you get from the natural group in which we have set ourselves, in other words, we by our sins have put ourselves into the group that's going down the road to shame and everlasting contempt, but God has provided a detour, and the detour is all about the person that he sent. That's the meaning of the word Messiah, the sent one, the anointed one, and the Messiah is described for us who he sent in Isaiah, the Jewish prophet Isaiah, in chapter 9, verse 6, where he says, God, where the Jewish people are speaking, and they say, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. You see, there is this recognition on the part of the remnant which is described in the first chapter of Isaiah, where the Jewish people say, except the Lord of Sabaoth had left unto us a remnant, we should have been like unto Sodom and Gomorrah. The remnant now speaks, and the remnant, the Jewish believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, the remnant, the very, 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 very small group, says, unto us the child Jesus was born. More than this, unto us the Son was given. The Son was never born. The Son was eternal. The Son was given from heaven. We received him here on earth as the child born in a manger, Jesus. But who was he? He was the Son of God. He was God the Son. He was that person in the triune Elohim of God the Father, God the Spirit. He was God the Son, and he was given He was given, and what happened? The government will be upon his shoulder. His name is the Wonderful Counselor. What is the Wonderful Counsel that he gives? He says, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. That's his counsel, to repent. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What's his Wonderful Counsel? Receive God the Son, who was given so that believing in him, you should not perish, but have everlasting life. He's the wonderful counselor. And then he is the mighty God, the El Gabor, the great God hero, the one that we admire, the one that we look up to, the one that we want to be like. He's our hero. He's our God hero, a God hero, El Gabor. And then he is also called the everlasting father. You say, wait, how can he be called the everlasting father? I thought there was God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So how can we call him the Everlasting Father? You can't tell the difference between God the Father and God the Son. He said, he that sees me has seen the Father. He said, I and my Father are one. I and my Father are echad. Just like the Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. He's one with the Father. So when you look at him, you see the Father. So you might call him the Everlasting Father. And then he is the Prince of Peace. This is the new not generation that is clueless that he came, that have no idea as to who was that child that was born in the manger there. Who was he? He was the son that was given, the everlasting God. And what did he do when he came? Isaiah 53, 4 and 5 describes why he came. He came so that it could be said of him, and it was true, surely 
He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken of God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. He came to die. He came so that his flesh could be torn for what we did wrong. He could die for our sins. He could be wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. He bore the griefs. He bore the griefs that were ours. He carried the sorrows that were ours. Those were my nails that nailed him to the cross. Those were my lashings that he that I deserved that he took when he was beaten with his stripes that they healed me. And then he was raised from the dead, as Job said, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself. Mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. Friend, to transfer from the new not generation to the new generation, which is where we all must be, is to acknowledge to God we are a lost sinner bound for hell and to say to him we receive the one who was born in the manger the Lord Jesus Christ is God we receive him as our Lord and Savior because he died for our, my sins was raised again and I invite him into my heart now to save me from my sins thank you for joining us today Now, as Tom Cantor mentioned, Noah was a preacher of righteousness and tried to reach the lost and dying world around him. And Tom Cantor and Israel Restoration Ministries wants you to be able to reach your lost Jewish friends that you encounter around you. Whether it's a friend, coworker, neighbor, doctor, lawyer, acquaintance, or someone you know, Tom Cantor wants to help you to reach them with a free gift because God wants you to reach them as well. So call us today at 1-800-247-3051. 1-800-247-3051. Or go to our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Fill out the form, and we'll have a gift sent directly to you to give to them, or one can be mailed to them. So go online, fill out the form today, or call us, 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. Thanks for listening.